Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 525th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other soccer writers over at the jerseysportingnews.com. And as we get ready to go, one second. <coughs> as we get ready to roll on this show, time to discuss about Something I feel, and many others have also been feeling, about FIFA trying to make the World Cup once every two years instead of the traditional once every four years. Now, when it comes to FIFA World Cup qualifying, to me, it is a journey to the promised land. It is a journey when you as a national team are trying to reach something sacred, something holy in all of world football, all of soccer, world soccer, that you cannot Try to cheapen it. Cannot be cheapened. Now, I understand in CONCACAF, in Africa, the Continental Confederational Tournaments are always once every two years. Because in their eyes, they feel in CONCACAF and CAF, that it helps support the game of football. That's what they'll probably tell you. We know what the real reasons are probably. Honest, that is what I think that it does drive them to have their confederational championships once every two years. But when you have have the, excuse me, when you have the FIFA World Cup qualification runs, This is where you have to say, when you are on a journey like this, it gives those nations that never, ever qualify for a World Cup, gives them that opportunity to reach that goal, gives them that opportunity to play upset special. It happens all the time, here and there. In an FA Cup tournament match, Open Cup match, of course, we get all those wonderful moments that a lower-level team, a lower-level club team will find a way to make a big run and make a name for themselves. But when you're talking about a country that is trying, trying to build and trying to get their program into a level 
of getting either close enough qualifying for the tournament, that is the beauty of World Cup qualification. And as of right now, in Asia, we're seeing Japan failing, except they won their last game against Australia, but they fell to Saudi Arabia. They fell to Oman, and that is probably the biggest upset in this current World Cup qualification moment. If you want to say it's an upset to see Canada get a draw against the United States, that would be incorrect this time around because Canada has improved and Canada looks like a contender to qualify for the World Cup. I respect Arsene Wenger's opinions about how he feels that if we are going to make the World Cup more important and make it matter more than normal, we need the big matches. We need the big, big matchups. We need the big spotlight shining once every two years. And once again, as I've said, it's, it would be nice for that to happen. But that would be taxing on our players. Whether they come from Europe, here in the United States, in Mexico, to have World Cup qualification tournaments or World Cup qualification games all the time. In between World Cups themselves. That would be a waste of time. Our players are human beings. They're not machines. They are not machines at all. They need a break. And once again, as I've said, if Arsene Wenger, who I respect tremendously, the job he did for Arsenal all those years as manager, winning FA Cups, winning a couple of Premier League titles, discovering Thierry Henry, the man a lot, as a football mind. But I will say that I will respectfully decline his belief that FIFA should host the World Cup once every two years. Because that is not how this whole thing should be. At all. And to be honest, it would ruin the sport. Because if we are going to have international competition be aimed at only one tournament and one tournament only, you know what that means? That means all the tournaments within the confederations would be gone. You want to see the Euros? Never going to happen anymore. You want to see the Copa America in Conmebol? Never going to happen anymore. The African Cup of Nations? Nope, that's done too. Oceania? Probably nothing. Asian Cup? Nope, that's gone. CONCACAF Gold Cup? That is over with as well. Because you need qualification matches for those tournaments as well 
so you can qualify within your own confederation. With the exception of the Copa America, as we all know, all 10 teams only into the Copa America. So outside of Copa America, and of course, let's not forget, there's also now UEFA Nations League. There's CONCACAF Nations League. Those tournaments are scrapped too. And all the hard work that CONCACAF has done up to this point to give more matches, more international matches for the national teams within our region of either North America, Central America, and the Caribbean, they would be gone, done, and dusted. Obviously, the calendar setup would change. But we would not have the journey of making it to a World Cup or attempt to qualify for a World Cup. As I have said once on Twitter, once every four years to qualify or to attempt to qualify for the World Cup is a journey. Once every two years is a shotgun wedding. We cannot have that. We cannot have a shotgun wedding to make it that quick, that fast, to qualify for a World Cup once every two years. I understand the idea. The idea is wrong. And I also understand that FIFA did a study, (coughs) excuse me, FIFA did a study and decided after the 2026 World Cup, which will be here in the United States along with our friends in Canada to the north of us and Mexico to the south of us, that it was going to begin. And the mutiny from UEFA has already happened. The entire continent of Europe, excuse me, of Europe, the United European Football Association members have said if this is going to be what the World Cup is going if this is what the World Cup is going to be like in the future we don't want to be a part of it then they would just say you you know the you, you, the uh the UEFA Cup or the European Cup will be their World Cup basically and FIFA cannot survive without UEFA being a part of the FIFA family It is an absolute mess that FIFA has put themselves into, and then they decided, we're going to make a study to see the reasons why we should not have a FIFA World Cup once every two years. You don't need a study to say, we are not going to have it. It's really simple. Just say no. Just say the idea is done and dusted. Just as the Super League was a bad idea in Europe for those club sides, in those three to four major nations in that UEFA continent, the entire world does not like this idea And as always, it will be UEFA that will make the biggest noise as their members 
will all say no. We should all say no. All of us. This is not just a European thing. This is not just a South American thing or a North American thing, a Central American thing, all up and down the Americas. This is not just an African thing. This is not just an Asian thing. This is not just an Oceania thing. This is an, involves the entire world of football. The entire world of football. The FIFA World Cup is a spectacle and a celebration of those best sides, whether they've repeated qualification every single cycle. You haven't been there in a long time and you finally made it. Or you welcome the new kids on the block who have qualified for it. Because if it's just going to be once every two years, it will lose its luster. It will lose the sparkle it deserves to have. This is why it's a journey. This is why the FIFA World Cup should never, ever be messed around with, should never be treated as a plaything. Once again, we must make sure, we must make sure from the people who are governing the game on a worldwide body, we must not have an issue when it comes to the tournament itself part of it, we must make sure that the FIFA World Cup does not get ruined by the improper people or the people who believe that this is the way of the future of the World Cup and how we're going to play in it, qualify for it, Everything of it is going to be changed. It must remain the way it is. Great show for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to have on Mr. Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle. Looked about Austin FC in his post-match interview with uh, Josh Wolf during a Zoom call. Uh, Sam Mitten of the of the Benton Musket SB Nation on the New England Revolution, winning their first ever supporter shield. But my very first guest tonight. Uh, gentlemen, I'm very glad that I can say I've covered him. Uh, when he came to Major League Soccer from England, was uh, a part of two Supporter Shield championship sides, and uh, now is in a wonderful venture in match broadcasting. I'm talking about the brand new voice of world football as well as uh, American Second Division football. The one and only Lloyd Sam joins me tonight. Lloyd, good evening, and how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. You know, I got a smile on my face as usual. Uh, I like that little intro. You're flattering me there. The brand new voice. I'll take it, though. I'll take it. How you doing? I expect. I'm doing great, Lloyd. I'm doing wonderful. You know, um, you know, I was happy that CBS Sports, that has been running these um, 
the signals for the World Feed on their Paramount Plus app. And when okay. I was watching these CONCACAF World Cup qualification uh, matches in the early rounds, I heard your voice. And I said to myself, <laughs> why does that sound... Why does he sound so familiar? I caught it in the middle of the half. I didn't catch it at the start. Yeah. I caught it in the middle of the first yeah. half. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's you. That must have been the, that did... must have been the first Canada game I did, Canada-Honduras. I think that's when people first were getting to know that I was doing it. I mean, no, actually, Red Bull 2, I was doing a lot in the USL before that. But I was doing smaller uh-huh. World Cup qualifiers before I got to, the, to this stage of the octagonal. So I was really learning about how to do it in that time as well, doing smaller teams, St. Kitts and against Trinidad. Well, we think Trinidad's not a small team, but it was smaller level games than now. So a lot of people on that Canada-Honduras game found out that I'm actually doing commentary, which it really put me on the map, honestly, these World Cup qualifiers. No, it really did, Lloyd. And let me tell you something. When I was listening to you, um, I was amazed and I was really happy for you. And I'll get to that question in a moment, but very happy for you that, you know, after basically having a playing career, you've played in England, you've played in MLS. Yeah. I know you've had some moments in USL as well in the championship league, especially with the yeah. Miami FC. When you That's hung right. up your boots what, what were you thinking for yourself? Like, what did you want to have your future <laughs> now that you're when no longer on boots. the pitch competing? Yeah, when you hung up your boots. I mean, I think, I think I'm going to go before when I hung up my boots. I'm going to go and say probably every day of your football career, you have your eye on that. What am I going to do at the end of it? You know, and it's a worry, a lot of anxiety for a lot of players out there, not just me. You don't know what you're going to do. You know that you can't do what you love anymore. But you know it's coming. So you try to make some moves and things. And, you know, I've made a few moves. I owned the dry cleaners one time. I had a clothing line. There's a lot of things I've done. Luckily, I bought some property as well in England. So I, there's a lot that I was doing preparing for this day. But it doesn't really prepare you for when you wake up and you're, like, in bed till 2 in the afternoon sometimes. And you're, like, you don't know what you're going to do with yourself. So I'll be honest, though, 2018... After my time at DC United, um, I went through a bit of a hard spell where I thought I, w- I had retired. And you know, like most players will go through like a depression-like stage when you're kind of realizing it's over. And I kind of went through that at that time. So the Miami FC move, which I never expected to happen, came out of nowhere. That gave me an extra two years in a place like Miami. So you can imagine, new lease of life. I've already thought it was over. So these were just bonus years. So once I've retired, that was actually your question. I, I didn't really know. I took a big risk. I stayed in Miami just because I, I like where I live, and I believed that things would open up for me. I didn't know what it was going to be. I did a bit of coaching. I was looking at possibly being an agent, a coach, or getting into commentary. And luckily there was somewhere local that, you know, did the USL games, and that's when I first got into it, April in April this year. So... That's exactly how I went. I took a big risk staying in Miami. But I said, it's in my retirement year. Let me take it easy. I'm going to spend a lot of money living here, but it's okay for this year. 
No, that's fantastic that uh, Miami FC gave you an extra two years to allow you to go and continue on your career until it was all over that you felt. But when you decided to become a commentator, um, who did you approach, who did you talk to to discuss your future about, I'd like to give this a go. I want to see how far I can take this. Okay, so first, before I had even retired, there was a guy that I met. He does the he did the Miami FC game when we were in the MPSL, and he's an English guy. He lives near me. I always see him walking his dog, <laughs> so I would see him all the time. And one day I said to him, "Let's meet and talk about other possibilities in Miami," because I knew obviously I'm retiring. And he was a cool guy as well. So I thought I said to him, "His name's Lee." I said, "Lee, let's meet one day." So we met, and in that conversation when we met, um. He said, if I ever want commentary opportunities, I, I should contact him, which was an amazing thing to hear as well. Because I was like, matter of fact, I do want Because <laughs> in 2017, I wrote down on my LinkedIn that I'm looking for broadcasting opportunities. But I wasn't really serious yet. I was still playing. But when he said that, uh, he, he connected me with a guy. Chris Whittenham is another guy. And he connected me with where I worked, which was Vista. So that's how it went. And then I went to Vista, first game came, was very nervous. I'll stop my story there and wait for the, the next question. But I was very nervous first, first game. And then it just, after that, it just, uh, from the first to the fifth game to the tenth, the, the increase <laughs> was, was ridiculous, actually, from the first to the fifth, where I was from the first to my fifth game. And then now, obviously, I've done over 50. So... It's been it's been a great ride, man. It's been a great ride. It's gone so quick. And and you've been so popular too. I mean, look, I admit I've been pumping you up. I've been uh, <laughs> inflating your ego through social media, yeah. through Twitter. In, I, in I, I mean, I have to be interview. honest. No, I'm, I'm joking. That's no. right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean. I'm a very loyal person, man. You have been you have been bumping <laughs> me up, and I appreciate it. You know, and the, the feedback. I think that's where your question is going. So let me let you finish your question. Sure thing. Listen, I mean, you know, uh, the feedback you've been getting probably from a lot of people. Don't count me on this one because I'm biased towards you anyway. But the feedback you you've are. been getting from everyone else, <laughs> from everyone, <laughs> from everyone else, you know, former. You know, fans of the Red Bulls, they've listened to you. There are people that are sharing your call of Alfonso Davies' goal in the 4 1 crashing of Panama World Cup qualifying at BMO Field. You know, you were with Mike Watts with Red Bulls 2 and Loudon United, um, you know, through ESPN. You know, what has the feedback been from you, not just from friends and colleagues, but from football supporters from here in the States that have enjoyed your commentary? Wow, the feedback, the feedback has been so reassuring. Like I've been so blessed and flattered by the feedback. You know, I've I've done certain games. The feedback honestly started when I was doing USL games, and there's a manager for Hartford, Harry Watlin, English manager. And before we uh, commentate the games, we have a little talk with the managers, and he. After I commentated his game, he sent me the best message I've, like, ever seen. <laughs> Not ever seen, but after my career, best message I got. 
and it was really telling me how good the commentary was and his family watched it and they appreciate how I covered the team and how I spoke of him and and I was like wow that was like one of my first few games as well and so I was like that was very reassuring I was like I'm on to something and then you know other managers have said the same thing when it comes from the managers who know football it really I wouldn't say it means more but you know that they know their stuff once it got to the World Cup stuff, now I was getting messages from people in those countries that I'm commentating. So Canada, uh, Panama, Jamaica. Now it was like I'm speaking to nations, which was hard to believe. I'm doing solo broadcasts with, you know, anyone that's interested in football in Canada is probably going to listen to it. Jamaica, same. So I was like, wow. And then the feedback came just letting me know I'm doing a good job. So that was so reassuring. When that comes in, it lets me know I'm safe to be myself and, and do my thing, you know. So that's what – and that allows me to get better because I just feel free and I just try and have some fun in there. And I can't say every bit of feedback has been good. There's been some bad ones as well. But I'm definitely not reposting that. But most of it <laughs> has been good feedback. <laughs> I nearly reposted one of them. Someone said something like – No, that's like, fantastic. I'm, I'm going to say it. Someone said something like, you would, you would need to know the artist, though. It's, a, it's an artist from London called Skepta. Someone was like, who do we have commentating this game? Is it Skepta? And it was like, that was like one of the, it was, it was actually funny. Because obviously, I guess I sound like a, you know, a London guy or whatever. So it's been, it, it's been mostly positive, though. But some of the negative feedback, I'll tell you, I don't know how much time I have. I'm probably taking too much time with these answers because I know there's other people after but the negative feedback has made me better as well. There was a call I did, and someone wrote, I really wish he got excited with that penalty. And I went and I listened back, and I was like, wow, he's right. I've got to sell that moment right there. Penalty came, and, you know, I, I didn't really sell the moment. I was still adjusting to play-by-play. Play. So that was the, the, the negative feedback has helped as well because they've been spot on a lot of the time. So... It will make you better. No, it really does. I mean, look, you don't like the negative stuff, but it will uh, help you improve your uh, your job a lot better. Obviously, um, I know people that you work with. Uh, I mean, I know Mike Watts. I know Devin Kerr, yeah. Juan Arango. Yes. Uh, you know, during you know USL and oh, you know World Cup qualifications, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them like very well. <laughs> <laughs> I know those guys very well, you know, um, I, I talk to them as much as I can, but, you know, what have oh, they yeah. told you about, you know, doing these games? What advice have they given you uh, to add to your commentary? I mean, I guess when I was especially going into um, doing the solo stuff, let's just recognize solo is a completely different kettle of fish. Because at first, obviously, I'm doing, like, the soccer an analysis and I'm judging something that's happened and I'm, you know, giving my thought on how that happened. That's something that, you know, I, I feel like I could do that in my sleep. You know, anyone that's been in the game, even some that haven't been in the game. So I, I thought that was quite easy. But when it came to the other side, I've asked certain advice. Mike Watts is someone I asked, actually. I asked him an advice and I said, when it comes to a penalty, it, I was just like, I, was, I wasn't sure how to approach, you know, calling a penalty at the time. And I just asked his thoughts and how he goes through it. And, you know, I went and watched some penalties. So it, it, 
he helps me. He he told me how he does it, how he goes about it, and just general energy. You know, the American commentators, you know, as everybody knows, they they have a lot of energy. You know, and you look at basketball. I've got a basketball game on right now. The Knicks, bless them. I've got them on right now. American football, yep. it's always energy. So I'm bringing, you know, an English accent, and I'm taking some of that American energy, which is what I've learned from mostly the play-by-play guys where I work. There's other, there's other good ones as well. Josh Easton, Joe Malfa, you know, good guys. Chris, Chris Whittingham, I'm just saying all the names now. That, you know, Spencer Siegel, I don't want to forget anyone. Those guys have helped me a lot, you know, little things. After games, I would ask them, hey, what do you think um, – about uh, my commentary. Do you think there's any things you liked or you think I could have done better? And they would give me little pointers. I've gone in there with no ego, really, as a rookie to do what I'm trying to do, but I'm taking everything I've learned in my first career into it, which is a lot. So that, that definitely helped. Does it seem like it has helped you? I'm very happy for you. I'm very proud of you because you are doing something that I think all of us wish we can do as well. But you have really done a great job with it, Lloyd. And I know we got World Cup qualification next month, yeah. uh, just before Thanksgiving here in the States. I'm assuming you'll be doing those Canadian games again. I cannot I've wait. I've got the first Canada uh, game. I've got the first Canada there game. There you I go. And then, then we'll see. So everybody tune in for that. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. I'm getting better every time. So this is just the beginning. And I appreciate you know all the, all the support you've given me as well. Publicly and privately. You know, fun. you've given me private ones That's as right. well. So I'm, I'm sure I probably um, took up all the time now with those long answers. That, that's right. And that's what I've been doing because <laughs> I believe in you. Because I believe yeah. in you. And I know you're going to have a great future in that business. Lloyd, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate you coming on. Hope to have you back on again soon. And good luck in the Wednesday, excuse me, the November World Cup qualification matches. You take care. Thank you, man. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Speak to you soon. That's Lloyd Sam, World Football CONCACAF, World Feed Correspondent, Broadcaster, USL Championship as well on ESPN+. And now I have my next guest coming from Austin, Texas. He writes uh, on Austin FC at the Austin Chronicle. This is Mr. Eric Goodman, who uh, found a way to, uh, let's just say, I think he's endured himself with head coach Josh Wolf of Austin FC. Eric Goodman joins me right now. Eric, good evening, and how are you? Doing great, Daniel. You got uh, all your guests with an eye on the Knicks tonight. Um, so, yeah, thank you for having I... me on. <laughs> so are you originally from New York? Uh, from, I was born in Connecticut uh, to, a, uh, to a, a man from New Jersey, a father from New Jersey. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, all, all the New York sports teams um, – Unfortunately, are uh, are are uh, locked for life. That's okay. That's how hopefully the Knicks will beat the uh, 76ers tonight, and uh, they can go three and one to start off this year. So we'll see what happens. But um, you know, you posted that Zoom video call uh, with yourself and your fellow colleagues down in Austin covering Austin FC, and you had head coach Josh Wolf on. Before we get to the moment there. What has this season been like so far with Austin FC? I know it's their uh, inaugural season. What's it been like at the Q2? And how have the fans truly supported this club and the sport? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a really special, I mean, results aside, it's been such a special um, first season for Austin FC and, and, and for the city of Austin, um, which, you know, I came to in 2015 as uh, to go to the University of Texas. Uh, Longhorn sports have, you know, obviously been kind of the dominant sports factor in the city for a long time, but there's so much of, of you know, and Austin being one of the, you know, fastest growing cities in the country, there's a lot of people who, who live here now that have no real affiliation to the University of Texas, um, you know, and, and who don't necessarily want to travel, you know, make the hour and a half drive to go to a Spurs game or, or go to Dallas or Houston and have something to kind of get behind uh, themselves. And from basically from minute one of the announcement that Austin was going to get an MLS team, you could just feel that there was going to be just a, you know, a wholehearted embrace from the city. And, and you can feel that now uh, at Q2 Stadium pretty much every match and, uh, you know, quite a few road trips as well. Now, as we uh, take a quick look at the standings, especially in the Western Conference, obviously through uh, 28 matches at this moment in time, Austin is in, sadly, dead last in the Western Conference. Um, I should say they played 31 matches. They have like 28 points. Uh, been a really rough year for Austin, but once again, it's just an inaugural year. It's just their first year. Um, when you were viewing that road match, and I believe it was against the San Jose Earthquakes, and Austin fell yep. 4-0 on the road, what was your sense of that match? Did you feel that it was just an off night, or do you think it was more than just that? So just just for some context, I mean, um, pretty much the match just previously, um, you know, th that weekend was when Austin FC, you know, got got the E attached to their name, got their mathematical elimination from the playoffs, which, you know, obviously was coming. It, it you know, didn't come as, as a heartbreaking surprise to, to most. And even I think at that point the club was, you know, not even really con seriously considering the playoffs. But, you know, at the same time, that was some of the context coming into that match. It was a late late, you know, match local time, um, you know, 9.30 kick local time, so a, a late one on, on the players' body clocks. And, you know, they, they make it to the halftime break competitive, nil-nil. Uh, you know, I, I, they were, were not the better team in that first half, but they were certainly competitive. And then, uh, you know, a couple of, of you know, breakaway counterattack goals for San Jose, and then you really just did see that effort level seem to dip, you know, quite a bit. Uh, you know, Chris, Chris Wondolowski is completely unmarked, scoring the third goal, and then that fourth goal and a corner kick. You know, if you watch if you watch the, the videotape, hardly anyone moves to to mark anybody in the box, and it just looked like a team that wanted you know to be off that field as quickly as possible. And um, you know, when I asked Josh Wolf if they had quit, you know, whether on each other on the season, I you know, and this is maybe where he took a little bit of umbrage. I wasn't necessarily insinuating that I felt that they had quit on the season, but it was something I mm -hmm. wanted to hear his opinion on, uh, and so that's what he kind of took a little bit of umbrage to. Yeah, <clears throat> I can understand that. You know, Josh Wolf, of course, this is his first ever season as a head coach in MLS or in prof or in professional soccer after so many years being an assistant, and. Um, I mean, look, I, I don't blame you for how uh, you saw it because, you know, how many games and, you know, how many games in a certain how many weeks uh, some of these players have to play through and you're not playing a, 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 a real full season because you're not playing any uh, Eastern Conference opponents 
only maybe two or possibly at best three uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And then we get, when we get to 2022, everything will go back to normal. And hopefully Austin will be able to travel to some East, East Coast cities, Eastern Conference cities. Hopefully you guys will be coming up here to check out Red Bull Arena uh, for next year. But, I mean, it, it has been a grueling year with all these games coming in. And sometimes it's been like two in a week, three in a week, or at least maybe five, six, seven, I wouldn't say in a row, but you would understand what I'm saying. At least two in one week, another two sure. next week, and another two the, five, the other week. I mean, we haven't seen a schedule like this, I don't think, ever in MLS. Yeah, and then I think that just adds to the challenges of a first-year head coach, you know, with an expansion team. Um, and, you know, you also factor in, obviously, you know, what you're talking about is is a – um, you know, factor related to, to COVID and to the delays that that caused in 2020 and, and you know, beginning of this year. Um, you know, it also has limited the team's ability to get out into the community a little bit, which I think, you know, when you talk about and something I've written a little bit about, you know, turning a roster into a team, like those things are not the same thing. Um, just because you've assembled a roster that you think is going to be competitive doesn't mean that, you know, you can just go out on the field and execute. Uh, like you, you know, would imagine, like you do have to assemble some kind of chemistry. You got to assemble, you know, a tight knit unit. And I think they've been hamstrung a little bit in their ability to do that. Uh, and then you add the condensed schedule. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly sensitive to the tall task that has been put at the feet of Josh Wolf. And um, you know, I think you look back at, at the teams who have been successful in MLS's expansion teams recently. You know, Atlanta United with Tata Martino. Um, LAFC with Bob Bradley, you know, experienced managers, you know, obviously coming from probably a much higher pay scale and, and pay shelf than Anthony Precourt with Austin was, was probably targeting. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's not easy. And I think, you know, we're kind of seeing the, the effects of that. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think uh, that's what happens when you have a condensed or at least a different type of season that we normally are used to. I mean, I mean the only uh, comparisons I would say would be uh, last year in the National Hockey League where you only had a Canadian division, you only had a uh, Southern division, you had a West division, you had a Northeast division, and it's only a certain amount of teams that are remaining in a certain condensed area, and they have to play each other like more than eight times, uh, you know, four at home and four on the road. So I kind of understand, you know, the whole situation. But um, at, since then, you know, have you and Josh Wolf have had uh, a sidebar conversation? Have you said to each other, okay, we understand it's all over with, or it's just regular moments here and there? Um, you know, so I actually w- was meant to have uh, a one-on-one interview with him today that, that ended up having to get pushed to next week uh, just because of uh, some scheduling conflicts on, on the club side. Um and that was kind of, you know, set up, you know, I was, I was reached out by, you know, people within the club just to say like the morning after that press conference and that match, I was reached out to just to say no hard feelings. You know, I certainly was not discouraged from, you know, asking questions of that sort going forward, you know, assuming that they're fair and, 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 you know, within the right context. Um, and there was, you know, there's, there was a story that, that was not from myself, but was from one of, one of my colleagues um, in a different publication that, that had talked with, with Josh Wolf uh, since then. And he somewhat kind of doubled down on his response. Like, he, he didn't really express, based on the quote that I read, you know, too much, you know, re, 
he, he didn't really pivot too much in calling that, you know, not a, uh, a well-thought-out question, which, you know, of course, I still disagree with, but I don't think there's anything personal there. I'm looking forward to getting a chance to speak with Josh and kind of discuss the season broadly. Um, and it's been, you know, and, and, and like I said, I'm sensitive to the challenges that he's faced, but I also think that you haven't watched enough sports and enough sports coverage if you think that that question is out of place. No, I agree with you. I don't think that was out of place at all. I mean, look, I, that's a legitimate question. I had, you know, when I saw it, when you put your video up on Twitter, I saw it and I said to myself, that's a legitimate question. I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, there are certain people that like to take umbrage with these sort of things. So, uh, but I'm glad that at least, you know, uh, you'll have your interview with Josh Wolf uh, at a later time and everything is good. And even the club understands it's like no hard feelings. It's all moving forward, and uh, you should be A-OK. Well, I think you're A-OK in my book, so don't worry about that. But <laughs> well, I appreciate um, that. Everything sounds pretty good. Oh, listen, look, you know, I appreciate, you know, look, uh, this, this is a hard business, you know. Uh, we're trying to do the best job that we can to get our readers to understand what's going on with the clubs that we cover and covering the sport as a whole. You know, I don't think, you know, it, you know, I, I just feel like at times there are moments where, um, you know, you're just trying to ask a simple question, and I would like to think uh, these coaches or these people, they, they'll take it the wrong way, and that's not the idea that you're trying to give out to them. You're trying to ask a hard question. I'll give you a great example. When Red Bull Arena opened back in 2010, and I'm covering the New York Red Bulls uh, in MLS, for a different publication at the time. Uh, They had an international tournament called the New York Cup uh, through Barclays. And what happened was uh, it was a friendly tournament. uh, It involved the Red Bulls, Tottenham, Manchester City, and uh, Sporting Lisbon from Portugal. And the player from Sporting Lisbon was a young forward who, um, I forget his name at the time, but... Um, I liked how he played. He scored two goals and it made an assist on the third. And all I asked the, the manager was, and unfortunately his English understanding is not good because he's, I probably only knows about port, Portuguese or anything like that. And all I asked him was, you know, how important is this player to you? And, uh, you know, what plans do you have for him for your club? And I thought that was a reasonable question. And then all of a sudden, the translator screwed something up because he says to the microphone in, in broken English, no one is above the team. So I'm like, wow. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, asked, I asked one of my colleagues, I said, did I, did I say something wrong? Like, nope, that's a perfectly legitimate question. Something's wrong in the translation. <laughs> Yeah, well, so, um, I imagine that's uh, – I, I would have to imagine that's the last time uh, you, you covered that particular manager, just given given those circumstances. Well, I haven't been to Portugal, so I ain't going to Lisbon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah, but you know, other than that, that point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on that point, you know, it's it, you, you do wish he gets a chance to, you know, have a one-on-one, and, and, you know, I might try to slide this in. Just remind those who we cover – that just because we may ask a question that would suggest a certain storyline doesn't mean we are already committed to that storyline and are going to write, you know, going to write something no matter what you say. Like I'm in my coverage, I'm all about 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have a chance to set the narrative. That's why I asked the questions because, you know, I want to give, you know, you give the, the, the manager, whoever it is, the player, a chance to tell their side, and then you report that in addition to what you might observe. Exactly, exactly. Um, if I can ask you this, obviously it's not just Austin FC that's in town. You also have the Austin Bold in USL Championship. How much of a crazy soccer city is, has Austin been since the days of the Aztecs coming in before they left, and now you have an MLS side and a USL Championship side running everything on the professional levels of sports in Austin? Well, Daniel, I'm going to break a little bit of news for you on this show, maybe, but it just was revealed today by Roberto Silva, who um, is in the media now. He used to, I believe he's the former general manager of the Bold, that they, uh, he's reporting that they will not be playing another season down here. But that, that doesn't really come as any surprise to me. It doesn't really come as, as much surprise to, um, you know, probably a lot of people who, who support soccer in Austin. It has to do with a lot of different things, like the stadium was, was you know, 30 miles outside of the city at, at the Circuit of the Americas racetrack. But, but just to your larger question, um, this is a city that, that is routinely, you know, rating amongst, amongst the highest in terms of viewership for World Cups, for women's national team matches. So it, it's a bona fide soccer city. And, and I think, you know, that's why you saw MLS kind of pursue it so aggressively once they kind of caught on to that fact and why it's been so successful with Austin FC in such a short time. Yep, I agree with you there. And, Eric, listen, thank you again for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, please come back whenever you're, uh, you'd like to. The invitation is open automatically. And thank you for your time tonight. Yeah, it was great fun. Sounds great. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Eric Goodman covering Austin FC for the Austin Chronicle. And, of course, with the situation with him and Josh Wolf. But still, though, um, nice guy. Not a problem at all. And uh, hopefully – uh, Josh Wolf will understand the situation. Joining me right now, of course, coming to you from the New England region as Mr. Sam Minton of the Bent Musket of SB Nation joins me. As everybody knows, the New England Revolution did not fire a shot when they found out on a loss by the Seattle Sounders to Sporting Kansas City that they are officially the 2021 MLS Supporters Shield champions. Sam joins me right now. Sam, good evening, and how are you? Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's absolutely torrential downpouring uh, here in New England, but, you know, glad to be talking some revolution with you. Well, let me ask you this. And, you know, I, I know a bunch of revolution bloggers, podcasters, reporters, and I'm going to ask you the same question. Did you ever think you would ever see the New England Revolution with all the years they've played at either Foxborough Stadium or even at Gillette Stadium, that they would have a season like this where they were basically running away with the league in the regular season and that a 20-point lead guaranteed them a Supporters' Shield title. Yeah, this is absolutely something that's come out of the blue, I mean, Bruce Arena just today was talking about how, you know, he couldn't even expect this, you know, coming into the season. And especially as, you know, covering the revolution, it's kind of something where you're just waiting to see when the next shoe will drop. You know, you're seeing them continue to win, you know, continue to be at the top of the table. And you're just thinking, oh, what's going to happen that's going to, you know, ruin all this? And, 
you know, obviously there was times when Carlos Hill was hurt. There was times when Gustavo Bo was hurt. But somehow this team was able to, you know, persevere through that. And, you know, here we are. So definitely I think anyone would be lying to you if they said they expected a season like this to happen. To see these players, like you said, Carlos Hill having a hell of a season, Gustavo Boa having a hell of a season, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but do you feel that Adam Buxa was the X factor of this season as well, either as a spot starter or coming off the bench? I would definitely say that, I wouldn't know if I would say that, but I would say he's severely underrated just in the sense that um, obviously last year when he came over with the pandemic and just, it was a very weird season. He stressed that to the media, but he just never really fit in. And, you know, coming into this season, a lot of people were doubting him and, you know, just seeing, you know, what he'd be able to do. And I think this season he kind of proved, you know, why the revolution acquired him. I think when you look at the revolution, you know, it's the three headed, you know, dragon or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it of, you know, boots, heel and bow, obviously, I think uh, if you're asking me, I think he's the MVP candidate and he's kind of leading the pack. But without those three guys, it's very difficult to see them having this much success. To see what Bruce Arena has done. And listen, I've never doubted Bruce Arena, uh, his ability to manage a team at all, whether it be on the club side or on the national team side. Anytime Bruce Arena gets a hold of your club, as soon as he joined the revolution as both head coach and sporting director, I automatically said, I'm expecting great things to happen with the revolution. I'm already experiencing, I shouldn't say experiencing, but I'm already imagining the turnaround that was about to happen. And the year he came in was in the middle of the season, but that open cup victory on the road at the Red Bulls um, in Montclair university in extra time, I just said to myself, they look better, they look crisper, they have more confidence already, maybe it's not going to come together right away, but I already see positive stuff coming from the revolution, and that was about two, three years ago, and now look what it's come into. Yeah, and, you know, especially with, you know, Bruserina leading the team, you know, you've seen the investment, you know, going out to get players like Bo, um, and, you know, making sure that Carlos Hill stays here. But especially in, you know, the last game when they drew of Orlando City 2-2, that's normally a game when you expect the revolution to, you know, go down and just not, you know, be able to fight back. And especially with Bruce Arena leading things, the revolution have never really been counted out of games. You can never be like, oh, this is over. Um, so especially with Bruce um, kind of leading the way, you've seen them make these comeback efforts and win these games that, you know, quite frankly, in the past they wouldn't have won. And even today, they might not be that deserving, but they're able to grind it out. They're able to pull it out. And especially, you know, with how far this team has come, uh, obviously the players deserve credit, but Bruce Arena definitely deserves a lot of credit for just kind of changing the way that the team was viewed, you know, having there be a big investment from the crafts and, you know, going out to get these DPs. And it seems to be seems to be everybody in New England is reaping the rewards of Bruce Arena and the investment uh, in the Revolution with them. You know, hopefully making a run all the way to the MLS Cup Finals. When you see a guy like Tejon Buchanan, who of course a Canadian, excuse me, a Canadian international, how he has really improved his play from the Revolution on the club level, being wide left. 
attacking on the wing. And now, of course, he's improved his play internationally for Canada. But for what he has done for the Revolution, and I know it's going to be tough to see him leave after the end of this year because he's going to Club Bruges in Belgium. How important was his play, especially sparking the way they have been this year? Oh, yeah. Tejan has been a key part. Um, he's just the type of player when he has no fear going at any attacker, and that only increased after the transfer. You could see it on the field. He was a completely – even more – you thought he couldn't get more confident, and he did. And he just went at defenders with no mercy. And, you know, he was pulling out, like, some FIFA moves. It absolutely blew, blew my mind some of the stuff he was pulling off. Um, but, you know, he's been a, a crucial piece. He just kind of – you know, opens up that offense. He's able to create opportunities with his pace, and you kind of saw that last year, and it continued into this year. Like you mentioned, it's going to be a pretty big blow to lose him, but I think a lot of Revolution fans are happy to see that, you know, the club isn't getting in the way of his career. Obviously, Club Brews would be a great move for him. New England was able to get quite the price for him, and so it's gr- it's been great to see him develop because at one point, you didn't know if he was going to be more of a bench player, even when Revolution 2 was, you know, created. Could he find himself down there? But after the season last year and then going into this season, he's continuing to prove that he's a special player, you know, that he's going to be with Alfonso Davies and, you know, being a key part of those Canadian national teams. So for the Revolution, he's been very crucial. It will definitely sting a little to see him go, but I'm pretty sure Club Brews will get a bunch more uh, – fans in the New England area just because they got Tejan on their team. No, absolutely. And I think also goalkeeping has always been, you know, important no matter what club you're at. And to see Matt Turner just come out of nowhere and become, I would have to say, probably goalkeeper of the year right now. Not because he's on a Supporter Shield winning championship team, <coughs> excuse me, but um, just the way he plays in net, and I'm not going to go into the debate with some of these U.S. men's national team fans who feel, you know, they claim that Matt Turner has poor distribution, poor footwork, shouldn't be the number one goalkeeper for the national team, which I disagree because he's at least getting minutes at the Revolution to play on the national team, not Zach Steffen, who's only a part-time player right now as the backup. But honestly, Matt Turner has really turned the page here, and I think he's becoming a damn good number one goalkeeper. Yeah, he's been absolutely amazing. He's been so amazing, the fact that recently he hasn't been playing like up to his amazing standards, and people are starting to wonder if he's kind of in a slump, even though the Revolution is still going out winning games. He's still going out and making saves, and it's a testament to how far he's come. And especially last season, I thought he, he should have won the goalkeeper of the year. I thought that was destined for him. I understand Andre Blake had a great season. But, you know, I thought he was a real big key for the Revolution, especially with Carlos Hill out for most of the season with an injury. He he literally saved games for them and kept them in games. And that's continued this season. He's been able to make some great saves. He's had some hiccups as recently. Obviously, he's had some goals. Daryl DK, he's very strong up. Uh, Got a very strong foot, so I'm not going to blame him for getting a finger on it, on a shot that ended up going in. But, you know, there have been some, you know, interesting moments, I'd say. We're seeing him kind of get used, getting used to uh, competing at the international level as well as playing for the club. And he's just been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, when you're in net, 
even when he played Orlando on Sunday, you know, they got that penalty kick and Revolution fans weren't worried at all, you know. Obviously, they ended up scoring, but maybe that's because Nani didn't didn't take the penalty. Um, But, you know, you just have confidence whenever he's in that. You don't expect him to make mistakes. You expect him, you know, be in the best position. And, you know, just speaking from my point of view, you know, I definitely think with the playing time he's getting, he's definitely someone who should get that top look for the U.S. men's national team. But it's been amazing to see just how he's developed as a player and has become, you know, this one of the best goaltenders in the United States. No, absolutely. And I still feel the Gold Cup that he played in, uh, he basically destroyed the door in front of him to say, listen, I'm here. I'm your number one goalkeeper. And I believe I should be the number one goalkeeper for the World Cup qualification cycle. And look what he's done so far. I still contend, I will still maintain that Matt Turner should still be the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team uh, in November when they're hosting Mexico on the 12th and then they're going to go down to Jamaica on the 16th, um, and it should be a fun one to see what's going to happen. But, um, you know, once again, how do you compare this team with Bruce Arena to, let's just say, the Steve Nickel team that had players like Shalry Joseph, Steve Ralston, Taylor Twellman, Matt Reese, and all those players that were just unbelievable, even though they they only won an Open Cup. Uh, I believe they had a Superliga title. Other than that, oh yes, nothing nothing overly significant like a league title. Even though they went to a league, they went to the final maybe two or three times that group. But how would you compare those two eras right now? I would think that, you know, obviously when you have guys like Shallery and Taylor, you know, you have that top-end talent. But I think what Bruce has done with this current squad, you know, compared to a squad like that, is he's been able to cultivate first a winning atmosphere that, you know, the Revolution were lacking. Um, I don't know if they were lacking it. I wouldn't say if they were lacking at that exact time. But especially, you know, in some of the dark ages for the Revolution, you know, they needed that winning atmosphere. And I think, you know, Bruce was able to bring that. But when you look at the roster right now, you have guys like Ima Boateng and AJ De La Garza, who obviously they're playing, you know, bench roles, but just having those veteran MLS presences, you know, that Ima Boateng has been surprisingly very good for the revolution. Um, he's been, you know, coming off the bench, he just brings that pace and, you know, is he's been able to make an impact in every game he's played. And also too, you know, New England has gone out in the transfer market and, you know, gotten guys like Christian Mafla. Um, they've gotten Arna Tristison, and they've also, you know, gotten some guys that haven't worked out. If you look at last season, Alexander Bootner worked out for a little bit, but then kind of faded off. But, you know, seeing them be able to go get those those talented players, and I think the also crucial thing is, obviously, credit to Kurt and Nalfo as well, too. But, you know, the formation of Revolution 2, having guys like Maciel and John Bell being able to come up from that, you know, kind of get used to, you know, what Bruce might be looking for. And then, you know, being able to make an impact on the first team. But overall, I think Bruce has just been able to bring that winning culture. Obviously, when you have guys like Taylor Twelman and Charlie Joseph, you have the talent. But you also have to make sure that you have the depth. And I think especially with this roster, this has been the deepest revolution team that, you know, I can remember. So I think those are kind of the key things that have revolution fans excited and hopefully thinking that they might be able to, you know, pull this thing off. Okay, I'm going to give you a hypothetical question, 
and I want a good, <laughs> honest answer from you right now. Obviously, All this right. has been an amazing. Obviously, this has been an amazing season for the Revolution. It's been an amazing season. What they have been able to do. Uh, running all these victories, uh, the points, the goals have been put up, some solid victories, of course, and performances. <clears throat> One day, Bruce Arena is going to call it quits. One day, it's going to be all over. I don't know when it's going to be, and I'm not going to put a timetable on it, but let me ask you this. I know he's the head coach and the sporting director. If one day... Bruce decides to stop one of those two jobs. Which arena would you like to have? The head coach or the sporting director and have someone else fill in the other position? I think it, it, it might surprise some, but I, w- I would take the head coach because I just think he, obviously, you know, going out as a sporting director, you know, you're able to make an impact there in the transfer market. But to be quite honest, uh, looking at some of Bruce Arena's moves that he's made, especially when it comes to the international market, they haven't been the best. I mentioned Alexander Butner. This year it's been Christian Mafla. He hasn't really been able to play and, you know, get in a rhythm. And you also look at a guy like Wilfred Captoon, who's kind of just now, you know, finding his footing. And, you know, he costs a decent amount. He's costing the revolution a decent amount coming. All Revolution fans heard about was from, he came from La Masia, you know, he played in La Liga, and everybody's expecting great things from him. And, you know, he was finally able to get his first goal, he was able to get some, get an assist as well, but he just hasn't lived up to the standards. The same can be said for Arne Tristesen. He's had some impressive moments, but he's been in Bruce Arena's doghouse since he got ejected from two, two out of three games with two yellow cards. And, you know, we just saw him play for the first time on Sunday. So as much as I love Bruce Arena's transfer, you know, transferability, um, especially in the international transfers, it has kind of been lacking. And I think having him as a head coach is able to make more of an impact and, you know, get more of that, you know, winning atmosphere like I mentioned before. And I think if you have him just as a sporting director in this hypothetical, you wouldn't get that same effect. You know, you'd kind of have to be dependent on, you know, who the manager is. So I'd have to lean on him as a coach, you know, in this uh, hypothetical. Okay. Well, you know what? I'll say this for you as well. I take him as a head coach in a heartbeat. I don't want him <laughs> as a scoring director. I mean, look, I think he's hit home runs with both Heel and Buxa, and excuse me, Heel, Bo. I'll say Buxa as well. He probably needed to get acclimated to being in MLS. I think that's what sometimes happens with these European players or international players are not used to the league. And so they need a full year to just get used to it. Um, But I agree with you. I'd rather have Bruce Arena as a head coach and not as a sporting director. I mean, lucky enough, you got, you got him as both right now, but I'll tell you right now, I'd rather have him (laughs) as a head coach, but Sam, thank you for your time. Congratulations on the supporter shield uh, title winners uh, that you're covering. And I hope to have you back on as soon as possible. Thanks again. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Sam Minton, the Bent Musket, SB Nation, on the New England Revolution, the 2021 Supporter Shield champions. So that should be exciting, and that should be a lot of fun up in New England. And, uh, you know, Red Sox are out. Bruins and Celtics are playing. New England is playing, the the Patriots, of course, they're sharing the stadium. But now, 
I think the Revolution are making big waves. And even though I didn't get to him about the stadium issue, that will be a separate discussion. But I really do hope that the Crafts will finally start building a soccer-specific stadium for the New England Revolution. I know it saves the cost or whatever it saves, whatever money they want to save. But the truth is it would be a lot better for the Revolution to have their own stadium and to call it their own home. Because to be honest with you, you know, this is it. I mean, it's great to be in an NFL stadium and everything. I know he owns both the Patriots and the Revolution. But truthfully, I think it's time for the Revolution to finally call a stadium of their own. And, you know, same thing with the Seattle Sounders. Uh, They do very well at uh, CenturyLink Field. Whether it's got a brand new name or not, I don't know. But uh, I will say this. For now, I'm calling it CenturyLink Field, and I'm just going to say that it would be nice to see the Seattle Sounders actually have a stadium that can hold more than 25,000. The truth is, I think in Seattle, you can have a stadium that can be 30 to 35,000 fans because the Sounders are that important in the city of Seattle. So, you know... They, to me, they should get a thirty to 35,000-seat stadium in Seattle without any issues whatsoever. Make it the first and only triple-decker stadium in MLS. If anyone in Seattle has heard me, make it a triple-decker stadium because I think it would be absolutely wonderful to see what would happen if the Seattle Sounders would get their own stadium. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Red Bulls recap. They head back to Lower.com Field this past Saturday. And, oh, my goodness, a 2-1 victory against the Columbus crew. And the New York Red Bulls are on, a, are on an eight-match unbeaten streak, finishing the weekend in sixth place above the playoff line above the playoff line where did this come from how did this happen it's amazing to see the turnaround that they have endured all starting back to that 4-0 destruction over Inter-Miami at Dry Pink Stadium at Lockhart and my my goodness, it is just unbelievable to witness this eight-match unbeaten streak come to fruition. Great goal again. Christian Caceres Jr., who has been unbelievable in his offensive capabilities, scoring big-time goals, creating big-time goals, Free kick golazos and the snap header he headed in from the corner by Tom Edwards in the opening minutes of the first half was unbelievable. Obviously, Columbus was going to get an equalizer or at least a goal. There's no doubt about it. There's no way. I didn't think that was never going to happen. I thought it was going to happen. And then, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, an unlikely source to score a goal. And it was the match winner in the 87th minute 
by Sean Nealis, who came deep into the Columbus area, was in perfect position to take a swing, and he scored the match winner off the head of Patrick Klamala to make it 2-1. The truth is, is this. If Patrick Klamala did not miss that penalty early in the second half, Nielsen's goal would have been 3-1. And that would have been amazing as well. But at 2-1, the winners, the New York Red Bulls, Six wins, two draws. They've only allowed three goals. They are on a roll. And as of right now, they only need two wins to clinch a playoff spot. With four matches remaining, it's all going to start this coming Wednesday night at Audi Field against D.C. United. So it's back to hate D.C. week for the final time in 2021. They come home for two matches Saturday against Club de Foot Montreal and then a midweek match which will be seen on Fox Sports 1 against Atlanta United. And then decision day comes as they travel to Music City to take on Nashville SC. If the New York Red Bulls continue to get points and wins and other results go their way. The possibility of them to host a playoff game is available. Here is the Eastern Conference table right now. Of course, New England Revolution clinching the Supporter Shield, 70 points. They are automatically locked in. Second place, Philadelphia Union with 49. Third place, Nashville, also 49. Fourth place, Orlando with 47. New York City FC in fifth place, 44. The Red Bulls ahead of Atlanta on a win more as both sides have 43 points. Montreal right now in eighth place, also 43 points, but they have one loss more than Atlanta, plus a better points per game average. D.C. United, after getting blitzed by NYCFC six goals to nil, are in ninth place, 41 points, two points behind the three-team logjam that is above them. Miami making a late push, 38 points. Columbus still alive, also 38 points. Only the teams eliminated this year so far, Chicago, Toronto, and Cincinnati. It has been very tough for all those FC Cincinnati fans on what the front office has been doing. And as of right now, they got Chris Albright as their general manager slash sporting director, so we'll see what happens there. But for the New York Red Bulls, this has been... The craziest season ever. And yes, me and my colleagues have said this before many, many times. There is talent on this team. There is talent on this team. The problem is it has not come together 
And I'll be honest with everyone, and if you watched me with Gary Redman on the New York Red Bull Discussion Group podcast uh, that's going to be on Facebook, I said it's not the question of do I did not think they had any talent. I felt they did have talent. I personally felt that it has not come together, and I don't think it'll come together for, this, for the entire season. I honestly thought it was going to be ready for next year. But turned it on after the four-goal destruction down against Inter-Miami and South Florida. That was the key. That was the key. The destruction of Inter-Miami was the start after having a one-goal lead and losing the lead within the final 15 minutes of that match in their very first visit to Lower.com Field. And all you can say about this New York Red Bulls team, it's come together, the the, uh, communication is there, everything is going well for this New York Red Bulls club. They dug themselves into a hole, and now they're out of it. They're still near the edge, They still could get pushed in, but as of right now, they're out of the hole. And once again, once again, you need to see them dominating these last four matches. At D.C., against Montreal, against Atlanta, at Nashville on decision day. And the possibility to earn 55 points, depending on how Philadelphia plays, Nashville plays, Orlando plays, if any of those sides get knocked off hosting the opening round match, come on over to Red Bull Arena and support these teams to support this team, support these players. They truly need it. They deserve it. 18,000 plus in the final Hudson River Derby match. I'd love to see 20,000. Hell, I'd love to see a sold-out Red Bull Arena, to be honest with everyone. But I'm here to tell everybody right now, I'm here to tell everybody right now, if you're listening to this show, go to Red Bull Arena, support these kids. They have done an amazing job. We all know it's not about for this year. This is about the future and for next year and the year after and the year after. That's what this whole thing is all about. Give credit to, give, excuse me, give credit to Gerhard Struber. Give credit to sporting director and just go to Red Bull Arena and have fun. Give credit to the sporting director, Kevin Selwell, for having an idea of what he wants to see from this Red Bull side. Let me also say this as well. As everyone knows, 
there has been an, an article coming out of England that the brand new ownership group of, Na- of Newcastle United wants to bring over Kevin Thelwell back to England, back to their back to England, pl- and be uh, sporting director for Newcastle. This is a time where I would like to think that uh, Kevin would say no. I mean, listen, going back to England after one year or two years here uh, with the Red Bulls, hopefully uh, he will remain because I think he has done a wonderful job of getting in proper players, having conversations with Gerhard Struber, moving forward and having everything fall into place at the right time. But once again, it's not my call. It's not my say. We'll have to wait and see. So We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen here. So quickly, the schedule for tomorrow night on Wednesday, October the 27th, the matches you have to be worried about, Atlanta United hosting Miami, Inter-Miami, FC Cincinnati hosting Nashville, Columbus Crew hosting Orlando City, and actually, Hamilton Forge hosting Mont- Club de Foot Montreal in the Canadian Championship. Not so much because it is not an MLS match, but to see Montreal growing tired because that match could end up being into extra time for the Canadian Championship for the best Canadian club in Canadian soccer. Also, NYCFC hosting Chicago, Toronto hosting Philadelphia, and that is it for Wednesday. Um... And then, of course, the Saturday games will be popping up. And we'll not worry about that for now. But everything looking to be on par with what's going on with the New York Red Bulls and everything else moving forward. There you have it. The New York Red Bulls winning on a final of two goals to one, destroying, excuse me, defeating the Columbus crew. They are in a playoff spot, and now they have to remain there for the next two matches to clinch that said spot. So it should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. I personally cannot wait to see that happen. I want to thank my guests for tonight. I'd like to thank Mr. Lloyd Sam for joining me, Mr. Eric Goodman of the, uh, of the uh, Austin Chronicle, and Sam Minton from the Bent Musket of SB Nation covering the New England Revolution. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Join me next week on back to the regularly scheduled time for Monday. And please, as always, enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.